I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. I started to kind of have all these little doubts that kind of added up. And I was so anxious about them. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my best friend. Like, because I was so embarrassed. Like, how could I think this? Like, Chris is perfect. You know, we're perfect together. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Long-time listeners will remember that we spent our third season trying to answer the question, how do you know? As in, how do you know the person you're with is right for you or isn't right for you? It's a question that can be especially hard for people in their teens and 20s who may have strong feelings for someone but are wary of committing too soon. It's also a question that lots of us have gotten wrong. Look, I certainly have. Today's story is about a woman who fell for a guy early in college and then wrestled with knowing again and again. It's a story about multiple new beginnings, about patience, about the importance of getting to know yourself before going all in on a partner. I'm Monica from Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm 32 years old and work in marketing. Monica grew up in a Cleveland suburb, right by Lake Erie. She was the youngest of three with two older brothers. I was kind of a tom girl. I did like all the sports. I wanted to be just like them. My mom was excited to have a girl so she could put me in dresses. And all I wanted to do was be a boy. <laughs> so, um, Monica says her childhood was pretty traditional and pretty idyllic. And yet, as a young girl, she imagined a different kind of life for herself. When I was in grade school and stuff, I would always write about how I wanted to be Um, the rich aunt who lived in, like, New York City or Chicago with cats, and I would have my own bookstore. Never wanted kids. I didn't see myself getting married. I want kind of the independence and the freedom and things like that. I just saw myself as kind of doing my own thing. As a teenager... Monica attends an all-girls high school, which delays her romantic maturity just a little bit. For most of high school, I did not date. It was sort of like, oh, there's a pizza guy. There's a boy on campus kind of thing. So I was pretty shy around guys my own age, but I had a lot of crushes. And it really wasn't until senior year of high school that I was 17 years old when I had my first kiss. The only reason we even dated was because I was a little bit stalkerish and like looked him up and emailed him and was like, we should hang out kind of thing. Was he the pizza guy who came to campus once? (laughs) He wasn't. This is funny. So my brother was actually in circus company, which is like juggling and magic and they kind of would perform and stuff like that. So this kid was in circus company. So I thought he was really cool. Wait, could he juggle and do magic? I don't know if he did magic, but he was a very good juggler. Monica and this guy date for a short period before he breaks things off. Then, as high school is winding down, 
she meets a guy who goes to an all-boys school nearby. We got pretty serious pretty fast. All in all, we only dated four months, but it was the end of senior year in like the summer. So it was kind of prom and he was my date to all this stuff and he was my first love. And I was like, oh, when we go to college, we'll be, you know, long distance. And he's like, yeah, I didn't think we would date when we went to college. (laughs) And so I was pretty heartbroken. Like I just didn't know how my life would go on kind of situation in a dramatic sense. A month later, Monica leaves for college at Xavier University in Cincinnati. She's determined to bounce back from this breakup in a big way. I was all about meeting guys. And I was like, I'm going to meet every guy ever. I just don't even care. It was strange because having gone to an all-girls high school, I was like, whoa, it's weird to just be with guys all of a sudden. I remember the... (laughs) The first day my roommate had gone to a public high school. And so she gets dressed and looks real cute. And I was like, what am I supposed to wear? I don't have a uniform. So I was trying to like assemble like from jeans and shirts. And so that was definitely a cha- that was definitely a change. Monica actually starts to feel grateful that her high school relationship had ended because now she's open to all these new experiences. She's meeting so many new people. She starts dating a new guy literally the first week of her freshman year in 2006. I just kind of jumped right into it, I think, because I just needed that connection and, and wanted that. He played soccer on Fridays and so with all these other guys. So I started, you know, going and playing like pickup soccer at this local park and just really befriended a, a ton of people. And it's during this period that Monica first meets someone else, a boy named Chris. Think about how many people I met in college, and I don't remember the exact moment I met them. I I don't. But for him, for some reason, I remember the exact moment I met him. Monica had heard about Chris from a mutual friend back home. The friend was like, oh, this great guy Chris also goes to Xavier. He's from Cleveland, too. You should meet him. The summer before college, Monica had friended Chris on Facebook— They'd been chatting on and off. Then one day, Monica says to him, we should hang out for real. And he goes, well, I never leave my dorm room, so I guess if you want to come here sometime, we could (laughs) meet. So I walked up to his room and knocked on the door, and he opened the door, and it was like time paused. And that's going to sound very cheesy, but... It was like this moment that somehow felt significant, even though at the moment it wasn't significant at all. And so he had this his huge grin, grinned at me, and I said, oh, hi, Monica. And he goes, hi, come in. Now, Monica is still dating the other guy at this point, and Chris has a serious girlfriend who goes to Ohio State a couple hours away. We were both sitting on his bed, and he had a picture of him and his girlfriend on his like nightstand next to the bed. So I was like, oh, that's sweet. But we just, yeah, we both just sat on his bed and talked. I went back the next night with my friend. We went and his roommate was there. So we all kind of hung out. And then we just kept in contact and we would have like lunch together a lot and dinner and the calf. And we just became really best friends. 
were you thinking at any point, like, I don't know what this is? Or were you like, no, this is just a friendship and this is incredible company and that's all it is? What were, where, how were you sort of assessing it in the moment? I was kind of like, this is just a great friendship. He's a great guy. He seems really serious about his girlfriend. He's, he's a good person. I'm, I enjoy hanging out with him. So it continues like this for a while. Monica and Chris are best friends. Back home in Cleveland over the holiday break, Chris and his girlfriend come to Monica's New Year's Eve party. And when Monica starts seeing a different guy this spring of her freshman year, Chris tells her how happy he is for her. Monica and Chris continue their regular lunches together. They play wiffle ball in a patch of grass between their two dorms. I had this, like the early days of cell phones, and it was cool to kind of record your own ringer or whatever. So I remember I would wake up from my nap a lot of times to him calling me because he was waiting for me in the cafeteria. And his like he had recorded this ringtone that was like, it's Chris, it's Chris, it's Chris, it's Chris, it's Chris. <laughs> um, so it was kind of funny. But towards the end of the school year, he was like, I have to tell you something. And he told me he was transferring to the school two hours away where his girlfriend went. He said, you were the one I was most nervous to tell that I was leaving. I was so sad. I was so sad. And he goes, it's not because of her. You know, it's because it's cheaper because we were at a private school and he was transferring to a state school. I mean, I had some really good girlfriends, but he was really my best friend. Chris leaves Xavier after his sophomore year, which is Monica's freshman year. They see each other a couple of times back home in Cleveland that summer, in 2007. Then, when fall begins, their friendship goes long distance. Instead of having lunch together, Monica and Chris establish a standing weekly phone appointment. So even though I'm in this serious relationship, he's in his still serious relationship, every Friday afternoon, we would talk for one hour, two hours, just about, I don't not even remember, just life. Not long into the new semester... Chris and his girlfriend break up. Monica and her boyfriend then break up a few months later. And not because of Chris and Monica. But it does mean that for the first time since that initial meeting in Chris's dorm room, both of them are single. That next summer, in 2008, they're both back home in Cleveland. That's when something big happens. One day we went to Lake Erie at this gorgeous park. Um, We walked down to the beach, we sat there on these rocks, watching the waves kind of, you know, crash against the the rocks. It was so gorgeous. And we sat there and talked for a while, and then he leaned in to kiss me. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's never going to be the same. Like, I could be losing my best friend right now. It's We're never going to just be friends, but I want to do this. super perfect. It was super romantic. And shortly after that, we became official. We just officially started dating. It was kind of like, let's take this leap. You know, let's see where this takes us. A sweet, familiar story arc, right? Two best friends realize they have feelings for each other and become a couple. Happily ever after. But that's not exactly how this romance unfolds. More of Monica and Chris's story after a short break.
Okay, we're back. So after all the friendly lunches and the Friday phone calls and the platonic hangouts, Monica and Chris are suddenly a thing. But instead of feeling like this natural and wonderful crescendo, it feels confusing. What was that transition like? Hard, and I wasn't ready for it. So that summer was great, and we had a lot of fun, but I realized I was not over my ex-boyfriend. Like, I had jumped from a serious relationship into this, which just, by the nature of me and Chris's relationship, became serious pretty fast. And so I was kind of like, whoa, I have unresolved feelings, you know, for this ex. I'm not completely over him. And so right before we went back to school in the fall, I broke up with Chris. Oh my God, that must have been so hard. And it's not even like you can call your best friend at that point to talk about it. Right, because he was my best friend, yeah. So how did he take it? I mean... Not great. He wasn't happy about it. I had to be like, okay, we need to just go like a month without talking so that we, because it's just, it's too hard. And, and I would, when we were friends, we used to tell each other we loved each other. But then when we were dating and we told each other we loved each other, it was a different level. So he would still be like, well, I love you. And I'm like, you can't say that. And he goes, well, I don't mean it like that. And I'm like, yes, you do. And so we like went from zero to 100 and then we had to pull back. I guess I knew I needed that, but I didn't necessarily know how to get that. But I just knew I need to resolve these feelings and it's not fair if I'm trying to date Chris while I'm doing this. Monica and Chris don't talk for a whole month. They're both at their respective colleges, Monica at Xavier and Chris at Ohio State. When they do start talking again, Chris tells Monica about a girl he likes. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I got really scared that I, like, oh my gosh, he's going to start dating this girl. They're going to get, I'm going to like just totally lose my chance with him forever. It kind of made me reevaluate things and rethink about things. So one Thursday, I jumped in the car after class and drove two hours and surprised him at school and told him, like, I love you and I want to be with you. So we had our second first kiss and then we started dating again that night. And and when you showed up, did he need convincing? No. Like, did he? No. OK, so he trusted <laughs> that you had figured it out. He was psyched. Yeah. Yeah. He was excited. So that was like restart, <laughs> our first restart, I guess. And then it just was natural. It's the fall of 2008. Monica and Chris are back on. They live two hours away, but they see each other frequently. Eventually, though, the long-distance relationship starts to be hard for Monica. I like being with him, but I'm never with him. And so I ended up feeling pretty lonely. My friends were, like, drinking, dancing, doing all this stuff. I wasn't really into that. Like, I wasn't really a drinker. I didn't want to go dancing and have random guys come up to me. Like, I was like, I found my person, you know? By her senior year in 2009, Monica is also starting to get anxious about what she's going to do with her life. 
I was trying to apply to all this stuff, I was just overwhelmed thinking of, okay, I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know any of this. I also had decided for some reason that this would be a great time to wean myself off of my anxiety medicine that I've been on successfully for eight years. And I was just like, this will be great. Like, why not? By Thanksgiving break of her senior year, Chris is back in Cleveland working. Monica comes for the long holiday weekend. I gave him a jar filled with 365 Hershey hugs and kisses and a list of 365 reasons why I loved him. And so it had like inside jokes, quotes from songs, quotes from TV shows, excerpts from text messages we had sent, Facebook messages we had sent, and all these things. And I was just like, how's he going to top this? (laughs) And we went to a wine bar. And (laughs) when we got back in the car, he opened the door for me like a gentleman. And then he goes, I think I stepped in something. Can you open the glove compartment? There's a knife in there. So I opened the glove compartment and there's like the ring box wide open with the light like shining down on it like, ah, you know. (laughs) And I turn on and look over and he's down on one knee and proposes, you know, and I was like, totally shocked. Like you had not talked about marriage. We had, we had, I like in retrospect, I'm like, I think I was romanticizing like engagement and how fun that would be and marriage. And so we had definitely talked about it. And I had told him, you know, about wanting to like live these other places and stuff, but we had never really had the hard conversations about what that would look like. Monica says yes. We started calling people, like we were sitting in the parking lot in his car, like calling our parents, calling our grandparents. And I had, I remember I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I was so nervous. I had this huge like knot in my stomach. And I remember thinking like, why am I so nervous? Like, this is so exciting. When I came home for Christmas break, we went to look at venues and we found a place that we liked. My parents like put the deposit down. I went wedding dress shopping. I got a wedding dress. We set a date, but kind of a tentative date. And it was pretty, I mean, it was exciting. It was like, oh, this is like who I'm supposed to be with. You know, he's my best friend and, and this is great. All of these confusing thoughts start to swirl in Monica's head. She loves Chris, and yet she has growing doubts about jumping right into marriage. I've always wanted to just live on my own. I've wanted to be on my own in a new city. He's back in Cleveland. He's working, you know, in a retail job. I don't see him, like, just picking up and moving somewhere. And so if, you know, we're going to get married and we're going to just live in Cleveland and... I'm never going to leave. Monica thinks back to the story of her homeroom teacher in high school, a woman Monica considers a mentor. She had had kids and her husband left her when they were really young and she was just forced to support them all by herself. So she always really put it on ourselves. Like, you girls have to be able to support yourselves. You can't rely on a man. And so I always wanted to know for myself that I could support myself to live and eat and all that without having to be dependent on somebody else. She also thinks about two cousins who had gotten married and within a year were seeking divorces. 
And I was just like, I don't want that to happen. I, I don't want that to be me. One of my cousins said, you never want to be sitting across the table from that person that you were married to, you know, with the attorneys. Like, that's just the worst feeling in the world. Eventually, Monica shares her doubts with her mother, who she says is very supportive. Chris finds out too, but not exactly in the way Monica intends. I was sending my mom a text and I accidentally sent it to Chris. It was something about him and, you know, the situation. And so I remember like having to sit on the floor of one of the buildings on campus and like calling him and having to just be like, I, I, I don't know, like I'm, you know, having these anxieties, I'm feeling this. I'm, and, you know, he was pretty like supportive and obviously wanted me to feel okay and things like that. I did ask him at one point, can we just postpone the wedding? Like instead of doing it next year, can we just maybe postpone it indefinitely sort of situation? And of course he was like, yes, like, because I still want to marry you. So sure, we can do that. But, I mean, I don't think it sat well with him. But simply putting off the wedding doesn't make Monica feel any better. I wrote a letter because I'm much better with words in written form than I am just talking. And so he came over and I gave him the letter. We were sitting on my parents' couch in their living room. And he was reading the letter. And his face kind of falling and me just feeling like, you know, kind of defeated, but at the same time, resolute. Like I knew I had made this decision, you know, I was going to stick by it. And it was so awful. It was so awful. And then I don't even think he said much. I don't think I said much. And I gave him back the ring. Wait, what was in the letter? It was just me explaining, like... I don't think I can do this. I'm so anxious about everything. I still love you. Like, I still wanted to be with him. I was just like, I don't want to marry you right now. And so he left. And I felt like my heart had just been ripped open. And at the same time, I was relieved. Like, I was so relieved that this this massive decision had sort of been made. And I remember even thinking when I went back to school of that song, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. And I just was like, wow, I just feel that. Like, I can see clearly now, like, I, the world is my possibility right now. You know, anything can happen. A few weeks later, they formally break things off. Monica tells Chris, if this is ever going to work, I need some space first. Maybe not space to run a bookstore in New York, as she'd once wanted to do, but space to figure out who she was. She sets her sights on Chicago, but that idea fizzles when she doesn't get the internships she applies for. It's 2010 at this point, and the job market is very tough. Then, one of her college professors connects her with a job at an e-commerce company, back in Cincinnati. This is going to be, all right, Monica, you're moving back to, it's not a new city, but it's a city you've never, you know, lived on and not been in school, in my own apartment, you know, independent, fully supporting myself. 
So the very first night I moved there, I remember my mom left. You know, like the first night I was there, my mom left. I'm in my new apartment with all my stuff. And I was like, I want to call Chris. I just want to call Chris. And then I was like, no, you can't call Chris, Monica. This is everything that, you know, you need to prove to yourself that you can do it. So I didn't call Chris. And instead I watched The Princess Diaries, which is like my comfort movie. As one does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I sat there and watched Princess Diaries and felt lonely, but excited and and started my adventure by myself. You were being the cool aunt. I was being the cool aunt. I did have um, a nephew and a niece at that point. So I was a cool aunt. I just wasn't a rich aunt, but... (laughs) Or or in New York, but like, I feel like you were way richer in Cincinnati than you would have been. That's true. That's true. In New York. (laughs) That's true. Wait, so tell me about this period of life after night one where you are living on your own and it's cool. Like, do you date people? Are you looking to date people? I'm looking to date. I'm thinking, okay, this is my time, you know praying to God, like, okay, God, like, show me a sign that if there's somebody else in my life that, you know, at least let me meet someone and have that chance of maybe there is. Because there was, you know, this, like, there was one guy that I kind of liked from back from college and was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, I'll connect with him or maybe somebody else. And so I did, I joined a few like young adult groups and just tried to, to get out and, and meet people and I remember this, this one night I had this really great conversation with this guy and it was like, wow, this, this guy's like really neat. And I was like, but he's not Chris. Like at the end of the day, I was just like, oh, there's just not that level of comfort. He's just not Chris. So it was kind of like nobody could measure up to that. Were you talking to Chris at all at this point? A little bit here and there. He did come and visit. So he came for the weekends. And I remember it was kind of weird. Like he stayed like in the living room. I was like, you have to stay in the living room and I'll stay in my room. But it was so nice just like having him come. But even as they're staying in separate rooms, that original spark between Monica and Chris is still there. They share a kiss and they make a big decision. They want to start dating again. For those keeping score at home, this is their third new beginning as a couple. I had had plenty of guys walk away from me when one thing went wrong in the past. You know, all these these guys who I thought like, oh, this guy's the one, or we're really serious, and then something went wrong, and they were just like, peace out. And so, like, you could look at it two ways. Like, either Chris is, oh, he's... Like, what's wrong with him? The fact that he's still keeps coming back or like, wow, what a guy. Like, he knew that there was something there, too. So, I don't know. I guess at that point, it was sort of like, well, it's out of my hands now. So, I was kind of putting it in God's hands at that point. There's one big difference this time. Monica feels like she's proven to herself that she can make it on her own. Chris is going to fit into her life instead of Monica compromising hers. She's also back on her anxiety medication, so she's in a better place overall. For nearly a year, they make their long-distance relationship work. Then, Chris moves to Cincinnati and gets a job at the same company Monica works for. She makes him live on his own. 
I was a little bit anxious about the thought of being engaged again because I go, oh, what if we get engaged and then I get nervous again? You know, what if I get have doubts again and things like that? But we did talk about it. And so I felt a little bit better about that at that point. And then one, yeah, one Saturday he was like, let's go on a picnic next Saturday. And I was like, okay, I know this is where it's going to happen because this is the man who does not plan in advance. Like, (laughs) this is the man who the day before, I'm like, what do you want to do tomorrow? I have no idea. Monica packs food for the picnic. Chris says he'll bring dessert. We go on the picnic and um, it was this really pretty park in Cincinnati and get everything spread out and start eating. And he opens up the dessert and I was like, oh, chocolate covered strawberries. I love chocolate covered strawberries. He had made them for me. And he was like, well, look at them. And I was like, oh, what? And then I look at it and the ring was sitting on the strawberries. Then he, you know, was on one knee and proposed again. And it was really sweet. And I said, yes, of course. And it just felt right. I didn't, I wasn't anxious. I didn't have that knot in my stomach. I was just like, yes, I'm excited about this. It's the same ring Chris had used the first time. Monica decides she'll wear the same dress she bought for their called off wedding a couple years earlier. They get married in Cleveland in 2013. Monica moves in with Chris in Cincinnati. So when we got back from our honeymoon, we were together 24-7. So we ate breakfast together. We drove to work together. We worked together. We drove home together. (laughs) But I did not get sick of him. So I think that's a really good sign. Eventually, Monica and Chris move back home to Cleveland. They've now been married for eight years. They've had their share of ups and downs. Chris's parents went through a divorce. Monica and Chris had a daughter who's now six years old. They lost several pregnancies. Underneath all of that is a solid partnership, a foundation built on years of trust. I could not have imagined doing this any other way because, you know, love is... Love is changes in its forms, and... Some days it's really hard, but you you don't you might not always like the person, but you always love them. One of the most unique things I think about your story is that no one got angry with the other person enough to say, no, you don't get a second chance. You don't get a new start. And what do you think it is about him that that allowed you to that allowed for patience? He let you take the path you needed to take to get back to him. And I think that takes a great deal of maturity, especially for a guy who was really young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He's very patient, very forgiving. And I think at the end of the day, kind of knows what he wants and was willing to wait and I think hope that he got it. I will say in some ways, I don't know if Chris is totally over it. Like, because sometimes he'll make comments like, oh, well, it wasn't good enough the first time. Or, you know, I I think it's painful for him to revisit it. So I think that's probably, you know, even part of the reason he doesn't like to talk about it. He hates when I, I'll mention it sometimes to like friend groups or my mom group or something if I open up about our story. And he does not like that. This probably explains Chris's reluctance to come on Love Letters and offer his perspective on the whole thing. 
I asked Monica if they still had the letter she'd written, breaking off the first engagement. So I was in our social or security deposit box like a couple months ago looking for something. He, the letter's still in there. In a security deposit box? Like in our safety deposit that we have like our birth certificate in our... Yeah, but I mean, he put, he put it in there. Yeah. Wow. And you were surprised by that, obviously. I was surprised that he still had it. I'm so obviously grateful that he gave me so many chances because I feel whenever I think about the story, you know, our relationship story, it feels really irredeemable for me. And it feels like so many times I let him down and I was the bad guy. And why? Like, why would anyone kind of give me more chances? And it's pretty amazing that he did. There's one thing Monica is certain about. That time she took to step away to find herself, it's the reason she's in a successful marriage now, without regrets. After all the hurt and guilt and confusion that marked the early part of Monica and Chris's relationship, they're still best friends, continuing to grow together. It's sort of like that old saying, if you love someone, let them go. If they don't come back, they never were yours. If they do, they always were. Thank you so much, Monica, for telling your story. Thank you so much for having me. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. We're also an advice column, so send your love questions to loveletters at boston.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're online at loveletters.show. Do you ever Google to see what happened with the juggler? I have actually. He like dropped out of college for video edit. He like is in LA. I think he's like a video editor or something. So. Okay. I just have like such a vivid image I have made up of him very like, like clearly breaking up, but also maybe while juggling. And I know that's not how it happened, but it's how I, it's how I like to believe it happened. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.